0: Amen. Thanks, Art. I should probably take out my notes. Um, all right. So I got to share with you uh, something that was uh, precious to me, and that was um, I love all of my my times of teaching and our times together. And let me just open this up real quick here. There we go. And so last night got a chance to be here with y'all preach, then we had a, a little quick break, and then I taught the Hume staff, uh, the, all, the, all the young leaders, and there was a couple of us there together, I know Arthur was there, and, and uh, that was, we, I taught till 10, right, on, on that one, and then I said, hey, you guys, if you're interested, uh, if you wanted prayer or if you wanted to just talk or whatever, I'm just going to hang out afterwards, and we gathered as a little group right here. And we chatted till 1230 last night, and it was the sweetest time because the kids just got to bombard with questions, uh, anything. We were off on the supernatural stuff, and we were off on life stuff, and, we were, and everybody was all over the place, so you got some, uh, some of the leaders, you know, they're, they've been doing this for a long time. They have a lot of knowledge. Some of them are very new very brand new to the story so i would have to keep recapping all the stories right so somebody would be in a conversation with me and we'd fire out and go well you know the bronze serpent story and and this girl's eyes got really big she's like i don't know that one and then i said and then we threw out another one the talking donkey story and she's like no way and i said yeah she goes how did i never hear this and so it was very cute so we had uh two and a half hours of just sharing life together and well, the other thing that was really sweet is as I left, there was like a little herd that, fo- that was following me all the way all the way down. And, uh, and that, was, that was so rich because there's a young lady, Megan, that was here with us. And when I touched base with her this morning, she's in the security shack. And when I touched base with her this morning, she said, that's the church. And it was so cute because in her mind, having the small group, being able to talk our hearts out, being able to ask questions, being able to process, hear God's word, she's like, that's it. And, and, and it was a very special time for her. So once again, when we pray at the end of this evening for decisions, uh, this is an opportunity for somebody's life to be transformed, that they would never again be the same, that, that these kids caught up in, in what the Holy Spirit's been doing all week long, and the counselors and the counselors by this time are getting a little tired and, and, uh, and they're a little worn out. There's not a lot of sleep and there's a whole lot of candy and there's all you know, that kind of thing. But the, this may be the first time for some of the campers to ever have a holy environment where it's all God all the time. And in that moment, sometimes he can capture our hearts in ways that he can't when there's so many distractions. So anyway, we're going to pray a whole bunch at the end, yeah? All right. All right, let's do that. All right, so we are in part six, the final part. Uh, we are going to be covering numbers 21 through 36 in the whole book of Deuteronomy. This is so good, fantastic, you know what I'm saying? We have gone through Genesis, uh, you know, we went through Moses' life. So we got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We've we've touched on all those pieces, so we're going to wrap it up. Um, But I wanted to recap on something I I shared last night. My message last night, I don't know if you remember it, but my message uh, last night was talking about what happens when God pushes us too far. And we talked about Moses striking the rock. And you're going to find out that because he got pushed so far, his reaction was not awesome. And he ends up losing the opportunity to go into the promised land. He didn't react great under the idea of being pushed too far. And I said, You know, a lot of us have heard these phrases God will never give you more than what you can handle. I said, Well, that's bogus. That's actually not even biblical. And what was intriguing for me as I walked out is I said, You know, I don't think I drove home then what is our response? I mentioned it, but it wasn't very strong. So I want to I reiterate that just in case anybody was left hanging and didn't notice the answer. When life or God allows us to be pushed too far, I'm talking about beyond our capability where we despair even of life, the Christian response is to fall weeping at his feet. That is always the appropriate response response because what you're saying is dad you have to carry me I got nothing left does that make sense you gotta carry me I got nothing left if we think about the story of Job that was the perfect response everything melted down he was pushed far beyond and he was a little pile of mess and he kept saying the name of God he didn't choose self He didn't choose the enemy. He chose God. So when you're pushed too far, I'm not telling you you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you're pushed too far, you can't. What I'm telling you is to fall into a little jelly mess and just call out for the name of your heavenly Father and let him carry you. Amen? That is the proper response. All right, I wasn't sure I was super clear on that. All right, we are going to talk about legacy Legacy, I entitled uh, tonight's message, A Life of Legacy, and when we're going to be talking about legacy, I'm talking about any time you are transitioning out of a significant role. It can be as you're getting older in life, it can be as you're leaving a long-time ministry, you're leaving a long-time job, it can be if you're moving away. So I want you to accommodate my teaching to your scenario wherever it is appropriate. The context is Moses is at the end of his life. We're going to watch it wrap up. We're gonna, they have it recorded about how he dies, and we're going to talk about his life in retrospect. So we're talking in context about him passing away. How did he do it well? And my first, if you're taking notes, write this down. Starting out well is great, but finishing well is better. Starting out well is great. I think that if you start out well, it makes your journey better. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, the only thing that matters is finishing well. No, 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 no. You don't need to hate the process. So uh, for example, uh, my dad uh, left my mom when I was seven years old. I did not have parents in the house. Uh, I have no memories of two parents in the house. So I don't know what a marriage looks like. Well, then I got married. Well, how was I supposed to figure out what that was, right? And I really had to role model it after Jesus. I, I had to say, well, how would Jesus be a husband in this scenario? That's just kind of how I had, to, I had to figure it out along the way. But in order to do that, I did so much study on trying to be a good husband. Because I wanted to start well. Does that make sense? I mean, because you can only do what you can do where you're at, man. I mean, you can't. And, and, and for all our couples at our church at Bridgeway back home, we do not do any weddings that the couple does not have, quote, unquote, significant counseling. doesn't have to be from us. And significant means more than two sessions, right? That they have to go through a process because, I mean, really, we're giving people a license. They have to go through driver's ed, right and so you kind of go well hold on this is for the rest of your life i think this is kind of important so i believe very much in starting well but i'm telling you starting well absolutely it's great but finishing well is better why because it affects more people as moses was wrapping up his usefulness to god the lord led him through a process of setting up a legacy both for his family and the nation of israel write this down the future has more challenges for those we leave behind The future has more challenges for those that we leave behind. They're going to have to take on a whole bunch of tough things ahead of them. For Moses' scenario, they got the whole promised land to take. I mean, they've only been walking around the desert. They're now into warfare mentality. They got a whole new generation risen up. It's a lot of work, and they got all kinds of heavy stuff. So how can Moses help them start well? That is what we need to be thinking about. Moses took great care to set him up for success. So here's my questions for us to consider in our hearts as I'm talking. Are we going to be intentional about what we build so that it can last? Are we going to be intentional about what we're building in our life so that it can last? Are we going to invest in others so they can carry on what we're building? One of the big things in ministry these days is people are Becoming aware that everyone's failing in succession planning. Uh, the whole handoff from one pastor to another usually bombs, and then everybody gets sad, and then the church folds, and blah, 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 right? So I have to have that a lot in my workplace. Will we allow the short sighted, selfish viewpoint to dictate what we will and won't do in life and ministry, or will we expand to think of others and the kingdom? These are just questions to begin to percolate in your heart because if you are just living for you, you're not going to leave a legacy. If you're just living for, well, I'm just scratching by, I'm just barely getting out of here. No, no, no. I need you to expand your world. You got to expand your vision because all the rest of us need you to leave well, wherever you're going. If you're moving out of state, if you're leaving a ministry, you can't leave a ministry that's going to collapse. You can't leave, right? A job. Because people are really going to look back, and as you step out of that job, they're going to be able to determine whether or not that Christian person did a good job. Does that make sense? We're always living testimony for Jesus Christ. All right, so Moses did four steps for his legacy. I'm going to lay them out for you right now, and then we'll just tell the stories. And We're going to start out by doing some paraphrasing, and at the end of our time, we're going to be doing a lot of reading in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, To really talk about the heart of what Moses was trying to get across. All right Here's the four things that Moses did in his scenario Number one, he cleared out physical giants He cleared out physical giants Number two, he cleared out spiritual idolatry Cleared out spiritual idolatry. Number three, he cleared out internal division He cleared out internal division And number four, he cleared out internal pride. He cleared out internal pride. All right, let's talk about clearing out some physical giants. So Moses led four military campaigns as he got near to the promised land. I'm just gonna briefly paraphrase them. They're not super important, but there's some keys that we need to grab out of them. As a matter of fact, he led a war against the Amorites, the Bashanites, the Moabites, and the Midianites. And these are the people he took out when i talk about giants he took out two specific kings sihon and og they comment on them in the bible and they're like they were huge these are like big people like there's something wrong with these people their gene pool is a little sketchy right they're like little nephilim antic people right but here's what's interesting so israel's traveling through and they send messengers to the Amorite king, King Sihon, and they're like, hey, can we pass through your territory? He's like, nope. Boom, they fight, he attacks, Israel won, and Israel took possession of his land. Now, this is a bit odd, because where are they headed? The promised land. So, if they take the land, that's a little bit of an awkward piece, because you're like, well, we're we're, we're going that way, right? We're going to go on the other side of the river. If you want to picture a, a map, so if you picture a long, narrow map of what we now call the nation of Israel, or they call it the nation of Canaan, or the land of Canaan, that on the right-hand side of the map, there's what's called the Jordan River. The Jordan River kind of is the eastern boundary of the promised land. Well, they're on the other side. And they're taking land there. Now, they didn't mean to. This guy attacked them. When you beat up the bad guys, what are you going to do? Just give them their land back and go, sorry, right? You take it, but now you got to fill it, right? So then all of a sudden, King Og of the Bashanites, he finds out that Israel was spying out areas and capturing villages, and it flagged him. He was like, something's not right here. So he comes out. And he attacks them. God said, Do not fear. I will give him over to you. And boom, they've beat him up and they get all his territory. They're like, Wow, we're getting an awful lot of territory in the wrong place, right? We needed a little more, right? A little more west. Well, sure enough, as they camp into the plains of Moab, they spread out. Remember how many people I told you we started out with? 1.5 million people is most likely so after 40 years you lose some you gain some right and so how many people i don't know but it's a lot of people and they just look like little ants all over the place, and they just spread out all over the plain well they're now in the moabite territory the moabite king starts to freak out he's like i have heard what they did to those other groups I don't like these people. There's something weird about them. There's something wrong about them. They got some heebie-jeebies on them. So he's like, hey, we need something on our side. We need a magic bullet. So they all get in a conversation. He's like, hey, have you heard of this guy Balaam? And they're like, who's that? They're like, well, he's a guy that hears from God. He's super creepy. So what we're going to do is we're going to send out some money, and we're going to ask him. We need his help. We need him to come and curse those people because i don't we're not going to win them if we just fight them right now i know that so let's do that so they send out a contingency and they go out and they're like you know balaam's like hello and they're like hey uh so we're the moabites hi and we would like to hire you to curse somebody for us is that cool and he's like wait a minute let me talk with god and he has a cape I don't actually know if he has a cape. I'm just making this stuff up. Anyway, he goes back into the room, and he's like, so, God, can I curse these people? And God's like, uh, no, you can't. No, those are special people. Don't do that. And he comes back. He's like, I cannot. <laughs> and they're, like, they're like, okay. So they go back. And the king's like, dude, we really need those guys. Like, uh, we need this magic bullet. Here's more money and more fancy people. Convince this guy. So they come in. Hey, it's Moabites again. Um, we got more cash and uh, we really need you. Hold on a moment. Let me check with God. <laughs> and you're like, I think he already said no, right? But he checks in again. Well, that starts to agitate the Lord. You start getting this undercurrent where he's like, but Lord, they have American Express. You know, and he's like, "Wait, he's like, what does that have to do with it? right? So he's like, I'm just checking, just checking. It's cool. If you don't want me to do it, I won't do it, right? Well, then they get into this weird dialogue. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but God and Balaam have a very odd relationship because Balaam is truly a guy that seeks out God. He's not some weird demon worshiper. He's not, But he's kind of a mercenary. He's kind of like for hire. And so you're like, I don't know what to do with you. He's a very complicated character. Well, finally, God's like, you can go with him. Fine. So he's like, he's like, calls his donkey over. He's like, it is time to ride. So he climbs up on his little donkey and he starts going. Well, you guys know this story, right? A bunch of you know. If you don't know this story, this is the best. So he's, he's riding his donkey and the donkey sees up ahead. There is an angel of the Lord. Now I'm going to suggest to you that it is Jesus pre-manger. I don't want to get into it with you. And you'll be like, I don't know if that's true. Whatever, you're wrong. Okay, I'm just kidding. So (laughs) so he's got a sword in his hand. Like, he's going to kill. He's in an aggressive posture, and he's like, I'm killing Balaam. Well, the donkey is like, well, my rider is my responsibility. (laughs) So he's like, how do I go around angel with a sword? So he's trying to sneak around, and there's a wall there of rock. So well, when he's trying to, mm like, excuse me, pardon me, as he's going by... Uh Balaam's leg is scraping against the, and he's like, What is wrong with you? And he hits the donkey to get him back on the track. The donkey says, like, What's up? Okay. So he's going a little, squeezes him, bam, bam. You know, he squeezes him again, bam. And on the third time he hits him, God empowers the donkey to talk. This is awesome. The donkey is like, What is your problem? Dude, I am the best donkey. I have been an awesome donkey to you the entire time. I have never done anything. I've always been faithful to you. And now what? I'm slightly, up. oh, I hurt your little leg. Now you're what? You're beating me? This is absurd. What? And here's the funny thing. Balaam starts arguing back. <laughs> Dude, at what point do you just stop talking? Your donkey is rebuking you. Okay, it's not time to, yeah, but you're, okay, what are you talking about? The donkey, and all of a sudden, his eyes are open, and there's an angel, and the angel's like, dude, I was going to kill you. The only reason I didn't kill you is because your donkey is is sneaky. (laughs) And then he warns him, he's like, hey, you know, you got to go with these people, but you got to listen to my voice. Well, anyway, so they bring him out, and the end result is that he's supposed to curse the people of Israel. And they gave him the money. And, and he's like, yeah, I don't want your money. So he's like, they're like, curse him. He blesses him. They're like, that was the worst curse I've ever heard. You are not good at your job. Try again. Bless. Dang it. Okay, now you're making me mad. Let's try that again. Bless. Ah! Okay. And he ends up blessing them multiple times and then curses the Moabites. They're like, what are we paying you for? Like, this is absurd. Okay. Here's what's interesting they now end up getting into a problem the moabites move out and they get a little bit more territory now they got a whole lot of territory and they're not in the promised land all right there is one other fight in the future and i'm just going to lump it under here so we can understand the the whole concept in numbers 31 um, god told moses to avenge the people of israel on the midianites because they were mean to him in the past and this is what god says moses after you beat up the Midianites, then you'll die. That's, that's a very terrible motivator to go ahead and get it done. I would kind of put that off on my agenda. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, to do like in 2026, right? Well, he knew that he had to go in there. So they send in a 1,000 men from every tribe along with uh, Phineas. Phineas is Aaron's grandson. He's a little bit of a, a firecracker. So they kill all the, Midian, all the male Midianites, they kill the five kings, they take captive all the women, all the children, they plunder them, they burn their cities, and when they get back, God's not happy. He's like, what's up with all the, all the women? I thought we were killing them all. They're like, yeah, they're, they're cute. <laughs> so I didn't think we would kill them. Well, here's what's interesting. Moses said, no, 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 you kill all the women except those that can be married. Kill all but the virgins, and I want you to kill all the boy children. You only leave the girls and the virgins. Everyone else gets slaughtered. The ones left, 32,000. This is a pretty big people group. They're getting some serious territory. Okay, and you're like, okay, so wha- how, how does this relate to my legacy? What physical battles do you need to clear out of the way before you transition for the people you love? So what he did is that the Israelites need a little bit of a ramp up time. If you remember when they finally go into the promised land, God fights their first big battle for them. You guys remember which first big battle it is? Jericho. Jericho. That's the walls came tumbling down. All they had to do was sing and march and walk around and be awkward, right? That was all they had to do, and God did everything else. They're not warriors. They're little by little getting into this thing, so he knew the new generation didn't know this. So he said, while they still trust me, we finally got into a groove together. I'm going to lead them on four military campaigns. I'm going to clear out some of the enemies so that the moment I'm gone, we don't have everyone picking them off. When there's a transition to a new leader, there's always going to be a sensitive time. There's always going to be a transitionary time, and I don't want my people picked off, so I need to transition well. Before I get out of here, I'm knocking out that people group, that people group, that enemy, that enemy, that enemy, right? He's clearing them out so that he can go in peace and let them start with a ramp-up time. So let's go back to this. How does it involve you? What physical battles do you need to fight for your legacy? What giants need to be removed from the land of your loved ones before you move on? You're like, I don't understand. How do I make that practical? Okay. Some of you guys are tracking on what I'm saying. I want you to give me an example of maybe a physical, and I mean tangible, I mean in this world, What is something that needs to be handled before you would transition out of a key role? Anybody got any ideas? There's no right answer, I'm just asking. Anybody know where I'm going with all this? No? Anybody got an idea? A succession plan. So, right off the bat, we have an issue, and you're gonna find out he addresses it really intensely. But one of the biggest problems that's going to face them is succession doesn't go well he's gotta set it up for success before he goes. Is that correct? That's correct. All right, other physical battles. Let's say, for example, you have people that have always been pressing in on your leadership and they're interested in trying to ruin you. And you have to make sure that you set things up to make sure that it doesn't go badly once you're gone. Right. So whatever that scenario is for you, it's something out there that you need to work through as opposed to going, man, I'm gonna get out of here soon anyway. Hey, whatever, if they get taken over, they get taken over. You can't have that mindset. What you leave behind will speak to who you are. So there are some things we need to handle so the next generation doesn't. Does that make sense? All right. Let's pick up number two, clearing out spiritual idolatry. All right. So in Numbers chapter 25, uh, while they were living in uh, an area near, remember those daughters of Moab? Well, they ended up seducing a bunch of the guys. The guys ended up being, being connected to them, drawn to them, and they start interconnecting. So the way that it worked is in Canaan, a lot of the uh, pagan worship was done uh, through uh, relationships, sexual means, stuff like that. So when they started connecting with these ladies, the ladies immediately introduced them and said, well, this is you're in our territory. Here's how we do it. Then they started integrating the god Baal. And so the guys are like, man, I've been wandering around a desert for a really long time. And I don't really care, but you're super good looking. So what I'm going to do is whatever you tell me to do, I don't care anymore. And they started integrating. And all of a sudden, spiritual idolatry started going all over the camp. Remember, this is the one thing. If you want to tick God off, this is it. Because he's like, no, 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 you're mine. Remember, you are holy people. You are set apart. We are not doing this. Remember, we, we are wiping people out trying to make sure that we are not doing this. Well, it gets so bad that a plague breaks out. God brings in judgment. And he tells Moses to hang all the chiefs of the Israel people. Now, let's pause for a moment. What in the world... These are their guys. Why would you hang the leadership? Because he said it happened under your watch. Didn't mean they were doing it. Hmm. Leadership carries a certain responsibility. Yeah? Then he says, the Bible says, Moses told the judges of Israel not to do that particularly. Some scholars believe he disobeyed God. But he told them to kill all the Baal worshiper leaders. But before they could get that done, the plague is raging, people are weeping, they know everything is falling apart, they realize we're on the cusp of the promised land and everything is a mess. Now all of a sudden we have internal decay, internal sin, internal garbage. And so now the leadership with Moses is in the tent of meeting, they're falling on their face, they're bawling before God going, I don't even know how to handle this, thousands of people are dying out there. And in the middle of that, One of the Israelite men takes one of the ladies from the uh, other crew and they go in and have relations in a tent set up right by the prayer meeting. Why would they do that? That is snubbing their nose at the entire leadership and saying, you can't tell us what to do. This is the height of this rebellion. We can do whatever we want, all that stuff, right? It's intense, it's crazy, it's creepy. Well, Phineas, the little firecracker we were talking about, he's like, not on my watch. He goes and he grabs a spear. Now, his role as the grandson, he's now the son, because Aaron's son became high priest instead of him. His son is this guy. He is the tabernacle gatekeeper. So he's kind of a guard for the tent of meeting, right? So he's already a little bit of a... uh, fighty guy (laughs) right so he grabs a spear runs into the tent where they are together and he drives the spear right through both of them into the ground things have gotten a little out of control yeah the plague stops but by the time it stopped 24,000 were already dead What do you do with this? The whole camp, it's one thing to have an enemy from the outside. It's another thing when the rot is on the inside. Like, I mean, from my perspective, what if I go and I take over a church and there's just corruption and gross stuff and everybody is not focused on the Lord and their self? Like, what do I do with that? How do you root that out? How do you clean up enough? What do you do? God's not in the habit anymore of killing 24,000 people through a plague, right? So so how do you root that stuff out? When God finally said, I'm killing all these people, getting everybody's attention, he then puts in, here's how you're going to do offerings, here's how you're going to do worship, here's how you, and God did a big shift over, but Moses was his point man to bring a health to the inside of Israel. Before they move forward. It was almost like God knew things were starting to go wrong. And he kept poking and poking and poking. Until it erupted. Boom. He cleans it all up. Because they didn't need to walk into the promised land. With that rot. You guys following me? It is interesting. Because it is in this time. That we transition into the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is simply. Moses' recap of the last 40 years. It's not new information as in new chronology, per se. It's a lot of details that, oh, it's his journal. Huh, what did I think about this? What did I think about that, right? But this is what he gave Moses. Look at Deuteronomy 6, four through nine. Deuteronomy six, this is where we start reading. Deuteronomy six, four through nine. You might remember this one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Uh, The first verse is also called the what? Anybody know? The Shema. Mm -hmm. Jews still repeat it. They're supposed to repeat it multiple times a day. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is the point of the whole put them on your head, put them on your hands? What's that about? Anybody know? Remember. Remember. Remember, your your right hand usually is decision. When you're making decisions, God needs to be a part of it. When you're reflecting and thinking through your decisions, God needs to be a part of it. He said, I want you to talk about me, and I want you to keep me into your atmosphere, into your ethos, into your culture. I want you to talk about it when you're out. I want to talk about it when you're home. I want you to talk about it here. I want you to talk about it there. I want to be all the time integrated into your lives. There is no such thing as compartmentalization. Well, I got my regular life and then I go to that do that church thing. That's not sufficient. He said I'm into full integration. I hang out and if you're going to talk about retirement financially, I'm in the conversation. If you're going to talk about practical business stuff and what business you're going to lead, I'm in the conversation. If you're going to talk about whether or not we're going to spend money to renovate the house, I'm in the conversation. When you talk about how you're going to parent the kids, I'm in the conversation. I'm not interested in being kept in a little jar on your mantle. I'm all in all the time. That's how it works. So let me boil this down for you kids because you seem to get an awful lot wrong here and you keep getting rebellious on me and you start letting all this rot start. Let me tell you what it's all about. I want you to listen to me closely. I'm Yahweh. Yahweh. Period. You're not. You never will be. And I'm going to tell you if we're going to boil it all down to its simplest form, I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to love me with all your mind. I want you to love me with all your strength. I want you. That's it. Because if you do that, everything else works. If you don't do that, nothing works. Every time you compartmentalize me and you say I'm a little add on to your world, I don't do that. I'm not a good add-on. Every time you try to add me on, I just make your life worse. If, you, if I'm an add-on, I'll bring guilt with me. That's one of the big challenges where we've had some traditional Catholicism is it was, it's in a compartment. God's in a compartment. And so it's like, well, I got the guilt part. I just didn't get the grace part. That's a problem. He's like, I need you to love me. Do you guys remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands? You remember that? was sharing with my friend in the gym how you read that line will determine your walk with god where you're at in the moment do you read it because here's the phrase if you love me you'll obey my commands how you read it where's the intonation right well if you love me right you don't obey me there's a guilt there of you need to perform better you keep saying you love me Look at you, slacker, right? That's where a lot of people are at with God. I don't think that's how it was intended at all. I think Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Why? It flows from a relationship, and all of a sudden, you're not having to look in the Bible for what's wrong. You already know in your heart, (laughs) that's not like me. Relationship and love is everything. Number three. So, we've done external physical things that need to be set in place for a transition. We've done internal spiritual garbage that needs to be reset before you go. Now, in your family line, let's say we're talking about you getting older in your life, and you're like, how do I set up my family? You intentionally. Invest in all of your family to see if there's any way, by the grace of God, that they will follow Jesus. You don't nag them. You don't hound them. You are a support to them. It's so funny. So my mom, she's been single her whole life. Uh, She is now 86. And she... uh, yeah, she has turned 86 in May. And she is the epitome of same. She's in the same house that we moved into when I was six, the house down the hill I moved into when I was three, in the same neighborhood since I've been three. I'm very loyal and I do the exact same thing as my mom. She's my role model. But anyway, so my mom's totally the same. Everyone in the family, and she's had so much drama, primarily because of my sister. My sister's a wild card and she just has chaos everywhere. Well, all the chaos in all the family, my brother's family ended up having chaos and stuff like that. All the grandkids and great grandkids all look to grandma as the true north. Now, it doesn't mean they're living right. It means that they have some longing to the safety of grandma, to the security of grandma, to the idea that grandma knows what's up. If there's something really bad, they ask grandma to pray. Okay. My mom hates the spotlight. She is scared of being uh, put into the middle of something. I got all this stuff from my dad. I, you know, the whole being loud and blah, 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 that thing. That, I got all that from my dad. My mom is just, her favorite thing is to watch family just be around her. And she doesn't have to say a word. That's my, my mom's favorite thing. But in that quiet personality, she is still the true north for the entire family. Why? Because she's the one that gently says things like, Well, honey, I'm not sure that's the best for you, but I love you. These are gentle ways, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, yeah? So she has done what she can in her personality. She's not out stomping and going, You'll receive Jesus or you'll get a SWAT. You know, she's not, there's none of that. What can you do through your personality? to make sure that if you're transitioning out of a job or whatever it is or in your life that you've really seen that there is a spiritual health as much as can be you can't force people you don't have any control you don't have any heavy influence but you have some right what can you do all right so we've done those two things third thing is clearing out internal division now we're talking about the social dynamic now we're talking about relationships All right, so he sets up shockingly detailed instructions how to take the promised land, visions for the future, and here's how it goes. Division is natural to mankind, unity is godly. If you're a note taker, write that down. Division is natural to mankind, unity is godly. Look at our nation. I'm humiliated and I'm embarrassed to be an American. Division is natural to mankind. Because of our natures. Our natures are always going to collide and we're always going to separate. But when God's, he overwhelms that and draws together. When you see a church that is truly healthy and unified, the Lord is there. When you see a church of division, there's an absence of the presence and power of the Spirit. The way we see this is in little ways. In Numbers chapter 27, five daughters from the tribe of Manasseh come up to Moses and they're like, hey, we got a problem. He's like, what's up? They're like, we don't have any, what's that? We don't have any brothers. You absolutely know the story. She said, we don't have any brothers. We're gonna lose whatever inheritance we're gonna get in the promise. Like you keep telling us, man, here we go, here we go, here we go. Well, I'm from a tribe and I don't have any brother. Like there's no inheritance rights. It's always through the dudes. there's five of us right here our dad didn't do anything wrong he passed away that's just kind of how it goes he just had girls we want the territory Moses is like uh I thought it was like a guy thing hold on let me go check God what do we do and it's so great God's line is they're right he comes out uh you're right hold on (laughs) comes back in And he said, give them, and it sets up all these inheritance rights, rules that they never even thought of. What's the point in setting those things up? Because in the future, there's going to be conflict. Everyone's going to argue. You guys, I know this is sad to talk about, but when we have a will or a living trust and things are ambiguous, I can tell you right now, your kids who used to get along will immediately get tense. Why? Because once money's involved, resources involved, it skews people's perspectives, even if they don't think they care about any money or anything. Suddenly, it becomes an emotional issue, or it becomes this, or it becomes this. So, God had Moses work through some rather detailed events to be able to talk about how things should be distributed so the kids wouldn't fight. Now, in a practical legacy thing about in real life with our will and living trust, you can work on that kind of stuff, but let's say you're leaving for a job. When you leave your job, there's a leadership void. If you are not clear in who does what and how they should handle it, you're leaving a mess, and everyone's going to try to fill that void. Even if they mean well, there's going to be unnecessary challenge and animosity. How do you leave well? Once again, succession, succession, succession. But I'm going to tell you the number one thing that Moses was led to do by God that made all the difference in the world for internal division is he handed off to brilliant leadership. The single greatest preparation was that Joshua was selected to follow Moses. Joshua is a stud. This guy's amazing. When you have somebody, there are no guarantees. They're going to be a great leader when you leave. You just got to do your best. But I want you to do your best. Who's going to lead in your absence? Moses is now 120 years old. He sets up Joshua in every possible way to succeed him. God calls Moses up, leads him up on the mountain, says, hey, I want you to look out at the promised land. We're here, kiddo. We're here at the gates. You're going to die. Not letting you in. You know that. Remember Aaron died Miriam died you're not getting in either okay you remember the whole rock thing I don't want to get into it all right okay you know why and Moses said I need a new leader and God said I know he's like who do we get and he goes you know you've always known who's the guy that always carries your gear who's the guy that was always responsible who's the guy that fought the amalekites who's the guy that was halfway up the mountain who's the guy that always stood by your side who's the guy that guarded the tent of meeting every time you left joshua who's the guy that spied out the land and said i believe god and i'm not going to let my fear dictate my circumstance choices right God said, I want you to take Joshua, a man in whom is the Holy Spirit. I want you to lay your hand on him. I want you to anoint him in front of the people by the priest to give him authority. When you suggest or select your leadership, make it clear. People shouldn't have to guess well, I heard this one thing. Well, I heard another thing. Well, you know what? I always knew that they had this one idea and they had that. All that's gonna try to filter in. In Unless you are clear in your transition of your job, you're clear in your transition of your ministry, you're clear in your transition in life, who's taking over and who's doing what? Because the people after you will suffer if you're not clear. All of a sudden he starts laying out these ideas for how to take the promised land i want you to drive all the people out i want you to get all these gods out of here tribes you all have allotments you're all going to have a certain place that you guys all need to land uh, eventually you're going to want a king i just know it i'm setting up the plan right now it's not going to happen for a while But when it happens, here's the rules. You're going to have future prophets. I'm going out. I was your primary voice piece for God. God's going to bring in a bunch more. Here's the rules on how it works. I'm setting up the contract and covenant that God set with me. It is a blessing and cursing concept. It's called the covenant. Everybody, I need you to know exactly how this is happening, what you need to do, what you don't need to do. Do you understand how granular he got? incredible why to minimize division amongst the people because here's what ends up happening it's all clear in your head and you move out oh they can find it my passwords are on that piece of paper right no they can't how do i know that my dad died four years ago my dad was super organized and it was still odd I had to handle all these pieces. My brother took over all the big pieces. I ended up taking over all the stuff because my stepmom had Alzheimer's. She couldn't help me. And he's like, I got it all worked out. He did a great job, but there's always details left. I just need you to be as clear as possible. Does that make sense? And then the one other big issue before we move on is the tribes Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh said, hey, Moses, can we have a meeting real quick? And he's like, yeah, what's up? Hey, remember when we beat up all those people and we took all their land? What are we going to do with it? I would like, uh, we would like those. Because, I mean, what, what are we gonna, just going to vacate it? I mean, this is legit. This is a sizable piece of territory. I know it's not in the promised land. I know we didn't get there. What I'm saying is it, this is really good land, and I don't think we should give it back to the enemies. God gave us victory. I'm just saying and Moses goes ballistic. What are you saying? you saying what? You're going to chicken out? You're going to hang out over here? You're going to let your brothers go in? They're going to end up having all the hard time? What? You gotta have an easy street? Is that what you want? And they're like, hold up, hold up. Hold. No, 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 no. No, sir, that's not at all what we're saying. We're saying. We are going to establish here, but we swear to you and we promise, we will go in and fight. We will not stop helping our brothers and sisters fight until they are settled, then we'll back in. Moses is like, oh, okay, well that, that might work. They became known as the Transjordan tribes, meaning the other side of the Jordan. So what you end up seeing is in the early maps of the promised land when it was settled, it wasn't just Israel, it spilled out on the right-hand side. That's why. But what was interesting is Moses said, well, you better make sure everyone else is okay before you sit down. They said, well, that was our intention, sir, the whole entire time. Why did he do that? Because he knew very well the animosity that was going to get created if you had those guys kicking back not doing anything and everybody else is getting slaughtered in the promised land strategic yes yep all right last one let's clear out internal pride all right here we go there are a series of readings we're going to do out of the book of deuteronomy and i just want you to start hearing the heart of it about what God is trying to do and what Moses is trying to do. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 7, 6. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people, he's talking to the nation. For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. That's an identity. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not Because you're more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You are the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. what did he just do? That was a little bit of a backhand slap and an encouragement, right? Hey guys, real quick, we're going to all tell the story about how we got in the promised land. How's it going to go? Oh, so we were like the best. Okay, stop right there. Nope. You were not chosen because you were the biggest, baddest people. As a matter of fact, when God made this promise, it was just Abraham. Nobody was going, there was no people group. It wasn't like he looked around and said, who's the coolest? You are not cool. You are not anything. You're just a few people. All right, he made this promise, so let's be real clear. You know why he chose you? Because he loves you. That's it. Well, that doesn't make a very good story. I can't paint that on the walls of my fresco, right? The fact of the matter is you are here by the grace of God. You are here by the mercy of God. Don't you ever let your mind tell you different. All right, let's keep going, kids. Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 15. God led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you power. Power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Boy, this, is, this one's going to hit a little closer to home. When you are successful, how's your story going to go? Everyone's going to interview you for Forbes magazine. How did you do it? Well, we're just brilliant. Stop. No, you're not. You're actually kind of stupid. You got wealth because God gave you the ability to get wealth. It wasn't you. It's never been you. Do you remember the miracles? Do you remember how much he set you up? See, this is the weird thing about how we all get into this. Man, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. i worked hard for all this. Hold up. Are you telling me that you worked harder than the ditch digger guy that is out in the sun every day digging ditches? Do not tell me that. He does not have the wealth you have. So don't tell me it was your hard work. Well, it was my mind. Who gave you the ability not to have an aneurysm? How do you even have a mind? Because God gave it to you. There is no room for pride. There is no room for I did, I pulled myself up by my bootstrap. No, the grace of God and the mercy of God was kind to you. Why? Because he wanted to bless you. And when you turn into a monster, that's not a very good thank you. Right? Let's do another one. Chapter 9, verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 4. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, meaning once you get the promised land. These are all prophetic, by the way. They haven't even got anywhere. Do not say, it is because of my righteousness. Meaning, I'm a good person, I did it on my own because I'm holy, that the Lord has brought me in possess, to possess this land where it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of the nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, that he may confirm the word that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came. To this very place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Wow, these are pretty harsh, huh? I <laughs> talk about. It. Do not tell me you got this because you're a good person. You're not a good person. Do not tell me that somehow you had a, a blessing on your life because you were so righteous. You're holier than thou. You're not. As a matter of fact, this whole transaction of the promised land, I'm not empowering you to go steal stuff. I'm kicking them out and you're backfilling. Let's be real clear on that. Oh, well, we got to take these people over. No, no, no. God drove them out. You're the hammer and you get to resettle where they're gone. Real pause, real quick. There is a verse in the Bible that helps you understand the conquest into Canaan. There are some of you that will reflect back and go, I don't understand how God would authorize the killing of men, women, and children, uh, going in, having war, killing all these people. To some people, that's a challenge. The verse says this, God did not release Israel from Egypt's bondage for 430 years, and he tells you one reason why. Do you remember what the reason is? The sin of the Amorites has not reached full measure. What does that mean? It means I'm not done working with them. You will wait. You're on timeout until I get done with them. When I get done with them, I've tried to reveal myself to them time and time and time again. I wanted them to be my people just like I wanted you to be my people. Don't get me wrong. And they chose them. They chose themselves. They chose themselves. They chose themselves. And when you choose yourselves, eventually I'm bringing the hammer down. I'm going to bring a judgment. I'm going to knock you out of your land. Why? Because I worked with you for hundreds of years and you wouldn't turn to me. So you're done and I'm bringing in my kids. They're going to take over your stuff. That's why. It was not a Israel needed more territory, so let's kill everybody. It was let's move them out. You get to backfill. That's a very, very important uh, concept biblical concept that we need to understand. All right. The last thing, uh excuse me, the the second to last thing that I'm going to highlight is he says over and over like Deuteronomy 9:25 through 29. Moses constantly puts in the book of Deuteronomy and I had to keep interceding cuz God wanted to keep killing you. Like <laughs> did you really have to write that multiple times? He's like, "I and I stood in the gap for you. You guys were mean to me, and I still defended you." huh, can't believe we even got here, right? And then after all these writings, they have the final conversation. Turn with me to um, Deuteronomy chapter three. We're gonna go back a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, "O oh Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such, wo- such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, the good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. The Lord said to me, enough from you. Don't speak to me about this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah. Lift up your eyes westward, northward, southward, and eastward. Now look at it with your eyes. You're not going over the Jordan. How heartbreaking was that talk? God, I served you for 40 years. I made one mistake, man. Come on. I earned this. I deserve this. You know what, kid? You did good. As a matter of fact, for the rest of history, people will sing your praises. You're great. You're not getting in. I told you. I told you, I need you all in. When you didn't go all in, you really caused more chaos in the camp. You're not getting in. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. Hmm. It's interesting, there's such a personalness to the conversation, right? Well, sure enough, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses does a final blessing on Israel, prophesies over the tribes, As much as Moses was complaining, like, I had to intercede for you guys, Moses was a world-class intercessor. God listened to him in a different way than anybody else. Jeremiah 15.1 says this. The Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. What's so cool about that? Out of all the names God could pick in all of history, he said, if my two greatest intercessors, the men that I love, Moses and Samuel, I don't care if they were interceding, I still wouldn't have changed my mind. How cool that you got highlighted like that. What a cool intercessor for God to highlight, right? And then we'll finish it out in Deuteronomy 34.1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, and it lays it all out there, verse 5. Oh, excuse me, verse 4. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. And the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him as they did the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all of his servants, to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. What a man. He shows up again you guys remember jesus takes his inner three peter james and john hey guys i want you to go with me to a mountain what are we doing hold on you'll see you'll see i'm just doing some prayer time okay cool they get up to the top of the mountain he begins to pray A cloud comes in, and he starts to turn dazzling white. His face begins to change, and they're like, what is happening? And all of a sudden, the cloud descends. When it lifts, there's two more figures talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Peter is freaked out. First, they're just stunned into silence. They're watching them talk. The Bible says they were talking about Jesus going to the cross. How amazing that you have the law and the prophets meet with Jesus. I mean, that's, their, that's what they represent, yes. Uh, Elijah's kind of the, the head of the prophets group, and then Moses is the head of the law group. And they're about to leave, and Peter says, I need to say something stupid. And he says, Lord, this is so awesome. How about we set up tents for Moses and Elijah? And I feel like Jesus just looked at him like, dude, you're just making yourself look bad. And he's like, we're good. (laughs) They're gone. First of all, how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? They never saw him before. It wasn't like they saw him in a comic book or something. Maybe they were all wearing Name tags. (laughs) The greatest act of God on this planet was the incarnation. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And Moses got to see it face to face. Even after he was gone. That's pretty cool. There's such a love there. And you look and you go, man, God was so hard on him. You don't get in the promised land. It's like, dang. But notice the little nuances. God buried him himself. Nobody even knows where it is. Why why is it important that nobody knew where it was? They'll make some type of honor to him or to worship it or whatever. And he's like, we're not doing that. Later on in the book of Jude, what do we find out? uh, Michael, the archangel, had to argue with Satan over Moses' body. Whatever that means. That's weird. But it just shows how important he is. But it's so interesting because there is such uh, intimacy about God going, that's my kid. I love that guy. Because we always think that if he was mean to him and didn't let him in, that God must not have liked him very much. I don't think he could have liked him more. But he's a good parent, and boundaries are boundaries. If you have ever had something where God called you on a sin, oh, I guess you don't like me. Actually, I like you so much, I'm busting you early. Just saying. Yeah? I hope you enjoyed this series. There's just something about slowing down and taking this survey and looking at his life from beginning to end. How many times he was challenged, how difficult it was, but God loved him, but yet he had some sorrow and then people turned on him, but yet he would run to God and he was an intercessor and then he got to see God face to face and then, right? What an amazing man. But he was just a man and so are you. i got to tell you, uh, I've always told everybody this, I swear that when I get to heaven, the person that has the highest position is going to be Edna from Cleveland. <laughs> you know, it's never going to be anybody you know, it's never going to be anything fancy, it's never going to be somebody that was on a podcast or on the TV or whatever, it's some quiet person somewhere that has their full heart to God. And they've been the ones that were interceding for the nation of America or the nation across the world. And God goes, have you considered my servant Edna? She's awesome, she's my favorite. I don't know, maybe that's you. I'm just telling you, God loves his kids a lot. This has gotta be personal, y'all. We're talking about decision tonight. If these kids buy a set of facts, it will not save. But if they start a relationship, it's eternal. Amen?